Glad you're here this morning. And no ice. How about that? That's good news, isn't it? How do these people get paid so high for nothing, you know? No, I'm teasing. I'm just glad there's no ice. That's the beginning of good news for today, and there's more coming because we're here in the name of the Lord. Welcome. If you're new to us today, we're really glad to have you. And if you're a returning guest, we hope that soon you'll be a part of our family as uh, we walk with you on a track toward knowing Christ better. And just please know we are messed up people, and if you're looking for a church that's got it together, forget it. Go somewhere else. Because uh, we're not looking for perfect people. We're looking for mutually messed up people. That's us. And uh, we're on the same track together uh, because we know we need a Savior and a Lord, and um, we're thankful for a God who loves us in spite of who we are. So take a moment to fill out a connection card, if you would, and put that in the offering plate when it's passed later on today. Uh, there's three or four different ways to give, and you can keep learning about that. Uh, there are also people in the hub at the Connection Center. If you're new today and want to hear more about us or have questions, they'll be glad to walk with you. Or if there are prayer needs, you can go there too, and they'll pray with you, whatever, whatever is necessary. You know, we say we're going to church today, but it's so much bigger than that, isn't it? It's so much bigger. I, have, I was reading this week about this, this throne room of God in Revelation where John was able to see into heaven. And there were these unusual four creatures around the throne of God, and they're always saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then the 24 elders, uh, they have crowns on their heads, and they lay those crowns down at the throne of God, and they say, the Lord is worthy to receive glory and honor and power, for he is the one who created us, and by his will all things were created. You know, that's what we're doing here. We're, we're, we are assembling, assembling ourselves around the throne of God and worshiping him, and uh, he is so good, and he is worthy of our praise and worship. That's what we've been doing already, and we're going to continue to do that as we pray. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for making us alive in Jesus Christ and for calling us to something that is real and true and genuine and something that lasts even into the life to come. And we confess to you every day, Father, that we need you. And uh, we, we can't imagine life without you. So I pray for all who are here that are near the heart of God will come nearer still. And I pray for that person in this room right now that's the farthest away from you, that even today would be a step a little closer to your love and your kindness and your grace. We thank you. We need you desperately, and we are, we are, we are, we are happy that we get to know you a little bit better today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're in John chapter 1 today. We're in a series of messages Tim introduced to you last week. We're calling AHA! Uh, now, if you come out of a denominational church background like Methodist or Presbyterian or Lutheran, they will often follow the church year. They usually follow the church year, which is a set, a set of scriptures every week that gives a holistic view of what it means to walk with Christ. And we're following that calendar. We're not calling the seasons all the same. We probably won't follow it, you know, perfectly. But this typically is called epiphany. Uh, when something dawns on you, something's new, you call, ah, that's an epiphany. Well, we're just not using that word. We're saying, aha, because it's the same thing, aha. And the, the, the wonderful thing about being a Christian, a follower of Christ, I was baptized when I was 11 years old. I knew I needed Christ. So for 51 years now, I've been following him. And I still am aha-ing 
Uh, and no matter how long you're in the Lord, that's, that's how it is. There's, every time you go through, in John 1, we're in John 1. I don't know how many times in the course of my life I read John 1, but every time I come to it, I, I find it refreshing. I find renewal. I find blessing. And, or I hear somebody else talk about it, and they, they say it in ways that I haven't thought or, or give nuances to it. So that's the wonderful thing, and that's why the Bible says of itself, it's living and active. That means it's moving, it's breathing, it's, it's, it, 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 it reaches to where we are. And the reason is because we're always changing. And I'm a different person now than I was last year at this time because of life experiences. So therefore, the scripture takes on new meaning as well. Anyway, enough of that introduction. We're here to talk about discipleship as we walk with Jesus in 2017. A disciple of Christ is a person who says, everything else in my life is absolutely secondary. Everything. He, Jesus Christ, is number one. As much as you, we love our families, we love our marriages, we love the vacations we're planning to take, as much as we love you know, planning for the future, enjoying our kids' games, whatever it is, all of that must be secondary to knowing Jesus Christ. And the, the interesting thing about Jesus, he says, when you, when you lose yourself for me, that's when you're on your way to life. Now, it doesn't make sense. You know, it doesn't say, it make sense that you lose yourself in him, and then you find life, but that's exactly how it works. So if you've ever struggled with the question, who am I? What's my purpose? It has to start with who he is. And then once, once you land in him, then all the other pieces come together. Note, note, note uh, John chapter 1, when Jesus is just beginning his, his interactions with people in the context of ministry. We're going to start with verse 35. Now, I'm going to be, read beyond uh, what is on the screen because I didn't tell them the right verses, all right? It's my fault, not theirs. So I hope you have something open so you can continue reading with me. We're going to start with 35. The next day, John was there again. This John is John the Baptist that John the Apostle is writing about, okay? The next day, John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Je turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent the day with him. It was about the 10th hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to us. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. There you have it. These early conversations with these men who were intrigued by Jesus. 
Jesus spends about six months in teaching people and crowds before the actual formal call of the 12 disciples that were formally in this position into whom he would pour his life and his teaching and his purpose so they would carry on his message after Jesus is crucified. It's all about being a disciple. That's what this whole text is. And every time we study, we learn different things. Here are the three I have for today. First of all, the call of Jesus is continual. It's continual. God is always calling me higher. He's always calling me to be better. He's always calling me to nobler, to obey better, whatever it is. Uh, They had already heard of Jesus. They've been exposed to his teaching twice now. They've heard John, their their leader, say, Behold, look, the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world. The Bible tells us that Jesus also said to them, I have to become less. He has to become better and so he uh, greater. So he was turning their attention more and more to Jesus all the time. Being a disciple of Jesus is an answer for our lives. So one here is Andrew. The other one with Andrew is probably John because John the apostle never identifies himself when he's telling an occasion or a setting about being with Jesus. Now, people... Lots of people, then and now, hang around Jesus. Uh, You know that no matter where you are, on college campus, high school campus, middle school, uh, at work, on your street, you bring up the name of Jesus, everybody has an opinion about Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are. Everybody's been exposed to him. Most people are hangers. You know, they don't mind hanging around Jesus if they believe that he is who he says he is, but that doesn't make him a disciple. You can be even be in church, but that doesn't mean you're a disciple. You might like hanging around Christian people. You might like hanging around something that's good for you, or you want your kids to stay out of trouble, or you want them to be moral, so you just hang around Jesus people. That's not the same as being sold out as a disciple of Jesus Christ. A few years ago, we did a uh, when our life group started, we did, you remember, a study called Not a Fan. And Kyle Eidelman put the video series together. And my life group still says it was just a, it was a great, a great t- teaching tool for us all. And, and I'm borrowing that language of Kyle's uh, for this message today, that there are fans of Jesus as opposed to disciples of Jesus. And here's what I want to say about fans. Fans, first of all, are in the crowds. You know, there are some people who will just go where the crowds are. And there were a lot of people, a lot of crowds that came to Jesus that never became his disciples. In fact, at the beginning of Acts, when the church is going to start, the number mentioned there is 120. Now, I don't know if that means every believer, but it seems to be in Jerusalem there were only 120 believers after three years of Jesus teaching the masses. That shows there are a lot of people that like to hang around him, but few that are serious about following him. You know, even in our culture, you see it. For instance, you go to the readership of like U.S. News and World Report or even Time or Newsweek, and those readerships continue to decline. And what readership goes up? People and us magazines. Because we are given more and more to celebrity than we are actual, actual kinds of articles that make us think and wrestle about, about life and about the world. And see, there are some people, when they first are intrigued by Jesus, they don't want to spend the time to wrestle with him. They don't mind being in the crowd. They just don't want to really wrestle through truth. It's a challenge. Fans are into miracles. They're into miracles. Lots of people came to Jesus. Why? Because they wanted to be healed. Remember, Mark tells us that Jesus was on the mountain praying. The disciples came and disturbed him early in the morning. And they they said to him, everybody's looking for you. 
And he wouldn't go and heal more people. Instead, he said, we've got to go to these towns over here because they have to hear the message too. He had to preach. That's what he came to do, to preach good news. And so that's what he, that's what he was into. Herod, remember King Herod? When Jesus was on trial, he basically said, do a trick for me, Jesus. I've been wanting to see you do a trick. And he wouldn't do it, of course. Simon was a man we meet in Acts chapter 8 who was involved in magic arts. He became a Christian. Then he started seeing miracles perform. He said, oh, I want to do that too. Can I buy that? And boy, he was harshly rebuked and told to repent because of that. He was into the miracle part. Is that why you follow Jesus? To be in the miracle part? To, to the wow? That will not fly with Jesus Christ. Fans are into superiority. There are some church people that like this attitude. I'm in, they're not. I'm in Jesus. I've got my act together. Those terrible people out there don't. I'm in church. What's your problem? And what happens is we get this superiority complex over the world. Friends, we are no better than anybody else in any car driving by our church building today. Because every person has been created in the image of God. And that gives all of us intrinsic worth and value. Now, we have paid attention to God's message. We've responded to him. That doesn't make us better and superior. It just means that we have a different Lord of our lives. Uh, even the disciples, you remember, struggled with this because there was a guy that was kind of talking about Jesus. I, I can't remember. Sorry, I'm a terrible preacher. I can't remember if they were doing a miracle or what. But I do remember they were criticizing this man, and they said to Jesus, hey, he's not one of us. What's he, what's he talking about you? And Jesus rebuked the disciples. He said, That's, that doesn't concern you. These disciples loved being the inner circle of Jesus. And they didn't like that somebody else was doing something for Jesus outside of them. You know, Jesus, God, throughout history, has used unbelievers to, to further his message in his kingdom. And he continues to do that today in ways that we don't even understand. Fourth, fans are into guilt reduction. A lot of people come to church because they feel guilty and they feel a little better. In fact, you'd probably like it if I scolded you about something. Because there's some people who like to go to a church that beats them up a little bit, and now they feel better, and they go back to life. And, and that's, that, that, will not, that will not fly either with Jesus. If I go to church, I'll do some good things. I'll do some nice things. I'll put on my best play, best, best for other people. I'll feel better about myself. I'll get involved in a service project, and now I won't feel so guilty. The only thing that can take care of your guilt is surrendering to the one who died in your place. That's the only thing that takes care of our guilt in any place. So we are called to be disciples. And this is about, this is a continual process of growing deeper with him. Secondly, the call of Jesus is relational. It's relational. He said, follow me. Make me your highest priority. The disciples' highest priority is a person. It's not a creed. It's not a conduct. It is not uh, uh, certain tenets that we ascribe to. It's not a list of doctrine, although all that's important. That's not the center of our faith. It's a person. About two or three years ago, Sandra Bullock and George Clooney were in this film, uh, Gravity. How many saw Gravity? I didn't see it, but I read about it. And I may have it wrong, but, it, but it's about them being astronauts and their, their shuttle is all beaten up in space. And, and uh, uh, the, the two characters uh, by Clooney and Bullock end up being tethered together. And out in space without in complete weightlessness. And <clears throat> Der Spiegel magazine, a, a top magazine in Germany, did an interview with uh, um, a guy named Walters. can't remember his name. Ulrich Walters, who's a German astronaut, to do fact-checking about the movie. 
And uh, in, in the midst of the interview, they said, what a terrible way to die just being tethered like that and your oxygen running out. And, and Walter said, actually not. On the contrary. He said, when I've been my, with my comrades and we've been in these, these um, altitude chambers where we, be, we experience weightlessness, it's much like it is when you're in thin air on top of a high mountain that you start getting giddy. And invariably, when we are experiencing weightlessness, one of us will crack a stupid joke. And everybody else starts laughing. And we keep laughing as our oxygen depletes. And what actually happens is you die pretty happy that way. <laughs> and when I write about that, I think, isn't that kind of a symbol of our entire culture? Our entire culture is just floating in nothingness with no sense of center or core or gravity, nothing to pull them to something that gives them stability, laughing all the way. Because that's what our culture does. It, it, it softens the harshness, the blackness of our culture. What Jesus does is he brings us to the center where we need to be. If we don't have him, we have this spiritual vertigo that we have to deal with that keeps us uh, 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 imbalanced and, and, and all over the page in our, in, our, in our lives. And then we rush to other things to make it work. He's got to be the one who brings us back to the core. That's what being a disciple is all about. If you treat him, if any of us, if any time treat Jesus as our wish grantor or our secretary or our assistant in life, Remember the bumper stickers, God is my co-pilot? <laughs> that will not work. He has to be number one in every aspect. He's, 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 he's relational. Now, the disciple's highest priority is a person, and this person is worthy of our full obedience then. He has proven who he is. We are full-time students, not traditional ones. When we think of students, we think of classrooms and desks. Uh, I found it fascinating Oh, I won't talk about that because I didn't talk about it. See, when I talk about something in one service and I forget the other three, that can never use it again. So I'll just wait and talk about that later. Uh, I, but let me say this, um, that in our lives, we are, we are called to relationships and we are students. Disciples are students. They're learners. At the root of that word disciple is the word discipline. And, and students, we, we are disciplined and our following of Jesus. We are being disciplined in the process. That's what all this is about. Now, now, there are a lot of non-traditional, there are more non-traditional students now in universities than any other time. Non-traditional, we mean there are more commuters. Used to be that universities got a lot of their income from room and board. Well, there are commuters now, and so they have to rely on other sources for income. Uh, now there's distance learning. There's online degrees that can be gained. Um, now people have been in their jobs for 10 years, and then they go back to school to get another degree. They're non-traditional students that way. Some students now increasingly stay out of, now at, between high school. They wait a while before they start college to kind of mature and grow up a little bit and get their act together. So th we are non-traditional students of Jesus Christ, disciples of his, because our, while our discipleship involves this book, you could know a lot about this book and be a horrendous disciple and not even be a disciple of Jesus. Here's what I mean. I value the scripture. It is God's word. It is God revealing himself to us. There's nothing ill about the scripture. The problem is me, that I can choose what to do with it. 
And so I will set it down, and maybe next week I'll pick it up. I can decide how much I want to read, how much I want to think about it, meditate on it. You know, I'm, I'm in charge of it, sort of. Relationships that are valuable can never be conducted that way. If I said to my wife this afternoon, you know, honey, I need a break from you. I'll see you Wednesday. Yikes. Why won't that work? Well, it's just relationships don't work that way. What, what makes a relationship work? Paul tells us in Ephesians 5 when he says, that before he talks about marriage, he says, out of reverence for Christ, submit to one another. In a marriage where there is an unwillingness to submit, that is, what I mean by submit, I don't mean to do, I'll do whatever you say. Submission means, I want to understand you. I want to get in your skin. I want to feel what you feel. I want to know your perspective of me. I want to know what you wrestle with. I want to know your darkest moments. I want to know your highest joys. That's what builds a marriage. It's the same thing with friendships. In a close friendship, what happens in a close friendship? You understand each other. You get each other. You relate to each other. You like talking together. You like being together, even not doing anything, but being together. That, that's how relationships work, right? So it is being a disciple of Christ. That's why we desperately want you in a life group. Because you can know a lot about what the Bible says. But until you grind it out in relationships with other people, it doesn't matter how much you know this Bible if you don't know how to make it come alive in life. And we need people and relationships for that purpose. So with Jesus Christ, there is this mutual submission. Well, how so? Jesus Christ came. When he came, he said, I came not to serve, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. He showed complete submission to his father when he died on the cross. Why? Out of his love for us. He's done everything to have a relationship with us. Now, when we nickel and dime him and our journey, what does that say to him? It's a one-sided relationship. and that, that, That's a slap in his face. And so what we do when we walk together is we are submitting to the Lordship of Christ. He's already submitted himself to his Father on our behalf. Now, we want to learn what does it mean to submit to him. And my desire for you, I don't care how much you know the Bible. I mean, I want you to know the Scriptures for sure. But it's much more important to me and the leadership of our church that these scriptures come alive in your life in a living relationship with Jesus and the community of faith than anything else. So get in a life group and grind it out together and wrestle with people. If your marriage is hanging on, learn to submit to one another in love. Learn how to figure this out. If you're saying Jesus is Lord, then you've got to say, then God, you've got to fix this. I'm not equipped. Come into our lives, come into our marriages and do something that we're not able to do. Lay your life down. The call of Jesus is also adventurous. It is. And when, when, uh, you know, when you're called to this, it, 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 there is adventure to it. There is this element of unknown. There, it, there is greatness and joy and fulfillment. And Jesus says, not only come, but he says, come and see. In other words, come and get involved. Come and watch. Come and experience this. This is what he's saying. And many are fearful. I can't tell you how many people over 40 years of ministry have said to me, you think God's going to ask me to do something I don't want to do? Of course he's going to ask you to do something you don't want to do. 
That, that's the hard part. But can you imagine some university coach coming to, to woo you to be on the team, to join their school? And then you say, well, I really want to play for you, but as long as you won't ask me to do anything hard. Oh, yeah, come on. We'll, we'll, we'll get you through. Or you're, you're, you're interviewing for a job. You, do you really want a job? Oh, yeah, yes. Are you willing to do anything that we ask you to do? Well, not anything. It's, I have my limits. <laughs> you think you're going to be hired? And yet with Jesus, we want to we write what we're willing to do and not do. I took my grandsons. I don't know if I, I'm getting to the age I can't remember what I tell anybody, okay? So forgive me, but, but I, I, I took my grandsons to the Eagle Creek, the ropes course this summer. Oh, brother. And, and uh, I did okay. They were just far ahead of me. And uh, it's the weirdest sensation because you know you're tethered. I knew in my head I was tethered while hanging on stuff. So I knew I wasn't going to die, but my brain didn't always know it. And I, when I, when I, when after I got through that, I thought, you know, it's so much like that in Christian faith. I know God has hold of me. I know Christ has me. Nevertheless, there's this element of fear that comes with it. Am I going to die? Am I, is he going to drop me? No, he's not going to. He is faithful and good and true, and he's going to see us to the very end. But he is going to ask you some stuff. He's going to ask you to follow him. To follow. What does that mean? Follow. Follow means you're leaving one place to go to another place. When you leave here, you're going to go. To, you're going to make tracks to your car. You're leaving here to go there. When you become a disciple of Christ, you leave the normal way you view your job, and now you view it in a different way through Christ's eyes. I once viewed my marriage this way. Now I view it this way. I once viewed. I once viewed child rearing this way. Now I view it this way. Everything changes about because we leave. We leave the old way of thinking, seeing, understanding to follow Jesus. And so here's Jesus, you know, and he, he gets to uh, Nathaniel, and uh, uh, Nathaniel can't believe anything good come out of Nazareth, you know. And Jesus looks at him and says, ah, There is an Israelite in whom there is nothing false. And it's like Nathaniel says, you don't know me. And Jesus says, I saw you when you were under that tree. Now, I hate it when people say to me, hey, I saw you driving this week. <laughs> I mean, my first thought is, am I picking my, was I picking my nose, you know? <laughs> or, you know, who did I cut off when you watched me, you know, <laughs> or whatever, you know? Um, I don't know if Nathaniel thought about that or not. But you know what, friends? No matter what you did this week, Jesus says to us, I saw you. I saw you at work that day. I saw you in that meeting. I saw you with your wife. I saw you with your husband. I saw you how you were with your kids. And he still says, come. Come be with me. Is that grace or what? There's nothing you've ever done, I've ever done, thought that he doesn't know about. And he still wants me? How can that be? But it's true. And Nathaniel, Nathaniel is so, I mean, well, he must be a Messiah. And Jesus says, you ain't seen nothing yet. He said, you're going to see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Well, what's that? 
Well, Nathaniel's a good Jew. He knows his Bible. How many went to church camp when you were little? We had this silly, dumb song. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. I thought it was the stupidest song when I was a kid, you know. And then, well, Nathaniel, he doesn't know that song, but he knows that scene in Scripture. Jacob is Abraham's grandson. He has this vision of a ladder from heaven, and angels are ascending and descending, and then the ladder disappears, and Jacob wakes up, and he was befuddled by it. But Jesus tells us why Jacob had that dream. Something greater than that is going to happen. Jesus is saying, look, look, Nathaniel, I'm the ladder. I'm the link between heaven and earth. I am the one that's going to make it possible for you to be in the very throne room of God. What a Savior. What a Lord. What a person worth giving our lives to and surrendering to. Your kids like telling you, like you telling them what to do? Ha! You know, none of them go, Mom, what can I do for you today? Dad, give me some jobs to do. You know, that kid uh, has, I don't know, we all know they're demon-possessed, right? Uh, so, I'm teasing. Um, so, so uh, you know, disciples never find it a horrible thought for their father to tell them what to do. A disciple of Jesus anticipates it. If you find the thought of God telling you to do something that you might be afraid to do and therefore keep your distance, you can't be a disciple of Jesus. You can only be a disciple when you say, God, whatever you say, here I am. And Jesus says, come to me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come and see. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we exalt you as our Lord and Savior today. And we are so thankful that you have seen us, you know us, nothing is hidden from you. And nevertheless, you want us. Thank you so much for that. And I pray out of such love, Father, 2017 will be the best year of our lives. It will be stronger, better, wiser, purer, stronger than we've ever been. As we become more acquainted with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. May God be praised in Jesus' name. Amen.